Leviticus chapter 13. If you'll join me there, we'll continue our study through the book of Leviticus together. And if you read ahead in these chapters, then we know that you really love Jesus and you really like the Word of God. Uh, as you came out this evening for Leviticus 13 and 14, and Lord willing, though they are indeed lengthy chapters uh, for mercy's sake and because they kind of deal with the same topic, we'll, uh, Lord willing, try and cover them uh, together tonight so that we can then uh, move on to chapter 15 uh, next time together. But Leviticus 13 and 14 are chapters regarding the diagnosis uh, of infectious uh, skin diseases and their treatment and now you begin to see how <laughs> incredibly interesting this uh, topic in some ways becomes but again we remember that all scripture the bible says is given by inspiration of god and is profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and training in righteousness and again we remember that jesus the bible tells us in luke 24 in two different verses expounded to them in all of the law and the prophets and the psalms con things concerning himself so as we look at all the old testament scriptures certainly we want to see how they not only spoke literally and specifically regarding regulations and things the children of israel were to do but also that they had uh, a prophetic influence that this god of incredible wisdom could speak and write about things that were specific laws and regulations to help regulate uh, health issues and society in that day in Israel. But at the same time, because this is a living book and it's spirit-inspired, this God of incredible wisdom was able through these things to weave types and shadows and pictures of things that are spiritual that we can glean and we can learn from as we study them together. Now, as you look at Leviticus 13 and 14, as I said, these chapters, very lengthy chapters, very in-depth chapters regarding the diagnosis and the treatment of infectious disease and skin infirmities, you have here the most in-depth record in the Bible of such things. And not only that, if you do a little research, actually the most in-depth record of really all ancient literature that exists, even among secular literature, the most in-depth record regarding how to properly diagnose and handle and treat infectious disease and its treatment among humanity, even in secular documents, which kind of in a way shows me something. It demonstrates to me on a surface level that God has incredible love and concern for people that he even would take the time to give such instruction to properly diagnose things that could be detrimental not only to individuals but then to societies collectively i mean we look at what's going on today with the outbreak of the ebola virus and you know the fears and the incredible danger and jeopardy that some of those things uh, even in our current uh, status in today's day and age could render among not only just a small sphere of people but on on a global level potentially and again god giving these regulations to the people of israel not only to care for the individuals but god cares about the community and, and even realizing the reality of some of the uh, uh, protocol was to be observed how you know one person could then potentially spread what's infectious and dangerous to other people collectively and how god is not just concerned about the individual and dealing with the issues of individuals but god is also concerned about how the issues of an individual can then impact and affect other people on a communal level and i think that's important to remember as well even from a spiritual perspective paul in the new testament speaks of how just a little bit of leaven 
can leaven the whole lump and how, again, as we see, leprosy and some of these things are oftentimes a type of sin. And because of that, you know, how just a little bit of sin or the sin in the life of one individual can have an incredible infectious influence on a family on a fellowship of God's people and how God is concerned that that be something that taken into consideration, not just, hey, what about the individual, but no, what that individual is doing in their life, how does that have an impact and an effect upon the other people that God loves and cares about as well and how to handle that wisely. Now, we'll see the term leprosy used throughout these chapters here in chapter 13 and 14. Uh, and the term, when you look at it in the Hebrew, and when you study the context of the passage as you're going through it, you can tell, though the word leprosy is repeatedly used, it's actually a much broader reference to just infectious skin diseases as a whole. You can tell as you go through this, what we know today as modern day, what we call leprosy, now referred to as Hansen's disease, the, the bacillus, the bacteria that causes what we refer to more commonly as Hansen disease. That's probably one of the infectious skin diseases that's being addressed in here, but it seems this term leprosy, when it's used at times, could probably be applied on a much broader scope to other infectious skin diseases, even will ultimately see things like fungi and mold and mildew that could be in garments or households that could be infectious and dangerous as well. And as we said, leprosy in the Bible is an incredible picture and type of sin. So as we go through it and we look at this together, and certainly we may not mention everything, but as you look at leprosy in the Bible, again, not to say that leprosy was always the cause of sin, and that was a wrong idea that many of the rabbis and religious leaders had in that day, that they always looked at someone who had leprosy as if somehow they were under the scourge of God and God was punishing them, and that wasn't always the case. It's wrong for us to deduce that every time a person is sick, that the reason they're sick is because of some sin in their life. That's a very heretical idea. Certainly, certain things can contribute that we do wrong to health issues, but that's not always the case. The Bible is very clear about that. But nonetheless, leprosy, as it was a real and literal condition, in many ways pictured and typified in the same way its effects, how sin would have effects upon people. And we can see parallels in some way to draw those spiritual applications. Now, chapter 13 gives us the diagnosis and the handling of these infectious skin diseases, how they were to be examined and diagnosed and to handle uh, when they came to pass. And we'll point out, as I said, some of the ways that leprosy then affects a person, even as sin affects a person in a similar manner. So let's jump in here. Chapter 13, verse 1 says, The Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, When a man has on the skin of his body a swelling, a scab, or a bright spot, and it becomes on the skin of his body like a leprous sore, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of the sons, which were priests as well. So notice the priest's role was not necessarily a function like a medical doctor, but almost like a health examiner. The priest was the one responsible basically to diagnose and to examine different individuals to determine their actual condition. So that individual, if it seemed that they could have a potential infectious skin disease, leprosy or some other, was brought to Aaron or to one of the priests. And verse 3, the priest shall examine, and you'll see that repeated, that was the job of the priest to examine the potential uh, candidate to diagnose their condition. The priest shall examine the sore on the skin of the body. 
and the hair on the sewer, if the hair on the sewer has turned white, and the sewer appears to be deeper than the skin of the body, so it seems more than just a surface issue, that it's a deeper wound, then it is a leprous sewer. Then the priest shall examine him and pronounce him unclean. But, verse 4, if the, pre, the bright spot is white on the skin of his body and does not appear to be deeper than the skin, it just seems to be a, a surface lesion or scab or so forth on the surface, and its hair has not turned white, the exact opposite, verse 4, then the priest shall isolate him uh, who has the sewer for seven days. So quarantine for a week so that then they could just see if there was any progression Verse 5, and the priest shall examine him on the seventh day, and if the sewer appears to be as it was, and the sewer has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall isolate him for another seven days, just to verify, and then the priest, verse 6, shall examine him again on the seventh day, and indeed if the sewer has faded and the sewer has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean, it is only a scab, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. The idea is ceremonially clean. He could participate in worship and be collectively among the society in public. Verse 7, but if the scab should at all spread, so if there's a spreading of the area, if the scab at all should spread, verse 7, over the skin after he's been seen by the priest for his cleansing, then he shall be seen by the priest again, and if the priest sees that the scab has indeed spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean, it is leprosy. So you begin to see how this process unfolds. If someone has what seems to be a potentially questionable lesion or sore, some scab or spot that begins to develop on the surface of their skin, the priest was to examine them there were certain criteria that the priest would utilize to be able to diagnose whether this was indeed leprosy or whether it was not leprosy. Take notice here in verses 1 to 8 as well. Again, notice it was exclusively the priest who examined the person's condition and made a determination regarding their condition. That was exclusively the role of the priest. Uh, that was who determined your condition. You didn't decide for yourself. Well, I don't think this is leprosy. I just think it's, you know, a, a little, you know, this or that. No, it was the priest who diagnosed you and made the distinguishing determination regarding your condition. In the same way that Jesus, our great high priest, is the one who examines us and our condition. We don't determine our condition. We don't evaluate, you know, whether something necessarily is sinful or not sinful. That's not our right to decide. It's Jesus who is our great high priest and the one who judges us spiritually to determine what is right and what's not right, what is acceptable and what's not acceptable, what is clean and not clean. In a sense, though we can be fruit inspectors in each other's lives, we ultimately don't have the right to determine that as well for each other. Uh, there are times where we may want to make examinations regarding what's going on in somebody else's life, and sometimes we overstep our bounds in that a little bit, and we can make wrong determinations and have a wrong perception of things. It was exclusively the right of the priest to do that. And, and that was, in the same way, a, a picture how Jesus, our high priest, examines us to determine our condition. Notice as well, as we talked about how leprosy in some ways pictures sin, 
I think you begin to see a few things here even in this description. Verse 3, notice one of the things the priest was to take note of as a criteria for it being a leprous sewer. Verse 3, it says, if, was, if the sewer appeared to be deeper than the skin. If it was a deeper than the skin sewer when the body was examined, then that was an indication that it was a leprous sewer. Now, You'll see that phrase, deeper than the skin. It shows up ten, ten times throughout chapter 13. It was one of the main criteria to determine if indeed this was leprosy and therefore that person was rendered unclean. Now, in the same way, that's a very fitting picture of sin. Leprosy is a deep-rooted issue from below the surface. It, it, it's, a, it's a bacteria that begins internally and at times it can even stay dormant in a body sometimes for five six years before it actually begins to then manifest on the surface lesions or you know uh, problems with the nervous system or the respiratory system which are all the things that leprosy affects but ultimately it is a deep-seated issue that is deeper than just what is seen on the surface symptomatically and I think it's a very clear picture of sin because sin is not just a surface issue. It's not just a surface issue that's easily resolved. Well, yeah, I, I kind of have this problem, but it's just kind of a, you know, it's just kind of a, a surfacey problem. And so I'm just going to get a little bit of this help over here, or read a book and, I, and I'll clean myself up. And no, the Bible tells us that it's a much deeper issue. And the much deeper issue is the fact that Jeremiah 17 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Jesus said, out of the heart proceed adulteries and murders and thefts and all types of evil. Again, it's, it's, it's not just a simple surface issue that can be easily resolved. There's a very deep issue. We are sinful at the core. We're depraved, like we've been studying on Sunday mornings in the book of Revelation. And there's a very deep issue of sin within our heart because we're plagued and corrupt from within. And then that manifests itself over time on the surface in symptomatic ways in all of our lives. Notice as well, we take note regarding leprosy, that leprosy starts out small, but then it spreads continuously. You notice in verse 7 and 8, you see that reference there, the issue of if it has not spread, it's not leprosy, but if it spreads, that was a way the priest could tell, hey, this indeed is leprosy because it's spreading. And that's a picture of sin as well and the way it affects our life. Sin always begins with small concessions, little compromises, but sin will always spread. If left undealt with and resolved by Jesus Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit, sin always begins small. It's always small concessions, small compromises, but then it spreads and if not dealt with, eventually it takes over the whole life and a person's life becomes consumed by sin. And so important for us to realize, listen, there's never a time when a person is full of the Holy Spirit and walking with Jesus and not making concessions and compromises and all of a sudden goes out and just does some horrendous off-the-wall thing. No, it, it, sin always has a history. And it's usually a very slow, progressive history where gradual concessions, small compromises, and then it spreads and spreads. And ultimately, if unchecked and undealt with, it can just take over the entire life of a person. So we see this very interesting picture here in this passage. Verse 9, it then goes on to say, When the leprous sewer is on a person, then he shall be brought 
to the priest and the priest shall examine him and indeed if the swelling on the skin is white and has turned the hair white and there is a spot of raw flesh in the swelling and your dinner is going to start turning your stomach i promise you <laughs> verse 11 it is an old leprosy so this is a, a recurring leprosy coming back he's saying on the skin of his body and the priest shall pronounce him unclean and shall not isolate him for he is unclean verse 12 and if the leprosy breaks out all over the skin and the leprosy covers the skin of the one who has the sore from his head to his foot wherever the priest looks then the priest shall consider and if indeed the leprosy has covered all his body he shall pronounce him notice clean who has the sore it is turned white and he is clean not rendered unclean so what this seems to be describing is if a person when examined has a sore but then there seems to be a, a contagious type rash that or, or as you're using the word a contagious that's the exact opposite a non-contagious or non-infectious rash but some type of a skin ailment that's going on a psoriasis or maybe something like that where it's spreading over the body the priest was to make a distinguishing uh, recognition that some things were leprous and re required somebody to then be isolated as they would be when they were leprous but there were other things that were non-contagious conditions that a person was still clean and they did not have to be isolated and separated as a result and it was important that the priest be able to make that discrimination because you certainly didn't want to ban someone from society and make them live isolated in a leper camp if they genuinely didn't have the condition uh, that they had i mean that would be an incredible uh, punishment for a person to have to i mean it was very difficult when somebody was quarantined as the result of some of these conditions so the priest again this seems very laborious and and tedious for us we're thinking oh this that I mean, what? but to them this was very essential to pay attention to these things so that they made sure they accurately diagnosed what was infectious skin disease what was not to utilize that verse 14 continues on to say but when the raw flesh appears on him he shall be unclean and the priest shall examine the raw flesh and pronounce him to be unclean for the raw flesh is unclean it is leprosy or if the raw flesh changes and turns white again he shall then come to the priest and the priest shall examine him and if indeed the sewer has turned white the priest shall pronounce him clean who has the sewer he is clean so it seems that it changes back and there's not the indication symptomatically of a leprous condition then after time he could be set free and was no longer considered unclean verse 18 this is important if the body develops a boil so again make sure that if you have a boil that's not leprosy you just poor person has a boil they're not pleasant but nonetheless it's not a leprous condition so if the body develops a boil in the skin and it is heated if you ever you know have a, a skin issue and you feel around that area where your skin gets warm because the blood and those kind of things are going to the area so if a person develops a boil in the place of the boil there comes a white swelling or a bright spot or a reddish white then it shall be shown to the priest hey priest can you check out my boil here and you know he's a little reddish white around there can you must have been interesting to be in ministry in those days had to do a little bit of everything verse 20 and if when the priest sees it it indeed appears deeper than the skin notice 
and its hair has turned white. That's never good. The priest shall then pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous sore which has broken out of the boil. So it's come out of the boil. It's shown through to actually be a leprous condition within the body. But if the priest examines it, indeed there are no white hairs in it, and it's not deeper than the skin, but has faded, then the priest shall isolate him for seven days to quarantine him for a short time. And if it should at all spread over the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous sore. But if the priest, or the bright spot stays in one place and has not spread, it is just the scar of the boil. Again, it's not a leprous indication, just the scar from the boil itself. Then the priest shall pronounce him clean. Verse 24, if you receive some kind of a burn, so somehow you're scalded in the fire or through cooking or something happens and you actually have a burn which damages the skin tissue, Again, to make sure uh, what was one thing and what was another uh, in the raw flesh of the burn, there becomes a bright spot that's reddish white or white. Then the priest was to examine him again to pay attention if the hair on the bright spot turned white and it was deeper than the skin. If that was the case, we know by now if it's deeper than the skin and the hair is turning white. We're almost qualified to be priests here. We know now that it is broken out on the burn. Therefore, the priest shall pronounce him unclean. Bingo. That's an indication that is actually a leprous sore. It's an infectious condition where that person would need to be quarantined for the welfare of others and the safety of the camp. Verse 26, but if the priest examines it, and indeed there are no white hairs in the spot, and it's not deeper than the skin, but is faded, then the priest shall isolate him for seven days, and the priest shall examine him on the seventh day, and if it has at all spread over the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous sore. But if the bright spot stays in one place and is not spread on the skin, but has faded, it is a swelling from the burn, and the priest shall pronounce him clean, for it is a scar from the burn. So again, distinguishing, is this the result of the burn and the tissue being damaged and the scarring that comes from that, or is this actually something from an infectious skin disease, Hansen's or leprosy in a sense, that's causing it to manifest more and more. Verse 29, now a little bit more challenging. You had to be careful if it was right on the skin and that was obvious, but now as you come to verse 29, there begin to be instructions here. What if there's some type of a, a skin lesion or something that surfaces in an area on the body that's covered by hair? So on the head uh, or the beard. And again, if you've ever you know, banged your head before and you know, maybe you bang your head and all of a sudden now that thing's bleeding, you know, the head always bleeds tremendously and you got the gusher going on and you're, and you're trying to examine your kid's head and you're you know, pulling through the hair to try and actually see that thing. Well, I mean, where's it at in there? And you're trying to sort through. Well, well, this is the idea. Much more difficult to diagnose on an area that was covered by hair. So, you know, God was very specific. He, he gives specific instructions. Verse 29, if a man or a woman has a sore on the head, or on the beard, facial hair. Then the priest was to examine the sore. And again, the same protocol, if it was deeper than the skin, uh, and there is in it thin yellow hair. That sounds pretty gross. <laughs> then the priest, I don't know if that's from the pus or what that would be. That's, you know, it's, it sounds pretty gross there. Then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a scaly leprosy of the head or the beard. 
But if the priest examines that scaly sore, and indeed it does not appear deeper than the skin, and there is no black hair in it, then the priest shall isolate the one who has the scale for seven days. And on the seventh day, the priest was again to examine the sore, and if the scale has not spread, and there is no yellow hair in it, and the scale does not appear deeper than the skin, he shall shave himself, he shall, the scale he shall not shave, and the idea there is you were to shave all around, but you didn't want to actually wound that area, so you would leave the hair of the area where the sewer was, rather than cut it when you were trying to shave yourself. Verse 34, on the seventh day, again, the priest would examine the scale, and indeed, if the scale has not spread over the skin and does not peer deeper than the skin, and the priest shall pronounce him clean, he shall wash his clothes and be clean, but if the priest, uh, if the scale, excuse me, should it all spread over the skin after his cleansing, then the priest shall examine him. And if the scale has spread over the skin, the priest shall need to seek for yellow hair and he is unclean. But if the scale appears, verse 37, to be at a standstill and there is black hair grown up in it, the scale has healed. Praise the Lord for that. And he is clean and the priest shall pronounce him clean. So again, take notice as, as we're going through this here, he's a lot of repetitious language, repetition of examining, repetition of notice, patiently at times saying, you know what, hey, for a week, we're not certain yet. So why don't we quarantine you for a week and then we'll re-examine about seven days later. And sometimes they would then wait another week and they would re-examine another week later. And the idea was what? To, to patiently wait to make sure that you cautiously and conscientiously examine something in a careful way before you made a judgment too quickly and rendered somebody unclean when maybe they weren't or rendered somebody clean when maybe they were unclean. And again, as we think of this, I think there's incredible wisdom in that because again, as we make evaluations about people's lives and, and make judgments. And sometimes we have to in regards to trying to be cautious and careful, maybe in relationships or whether we're going to partner with somebody in a situation. Notice there's incredible wisdom in being patient and not making quick judgments. Maybe we see the indication of something that looks like, you know, that looks like there's something about the fester. That looks like something's festering in his life or in her life. Seems like something's starting to surface. You know, something that seems sketchy or scaly or, or kind of, listen, but wait. Sometimes it's wise to just wait and watch because sometimes we don't have all the information and we don't want to wrongly come to a conclusion that something is unclean or unhealthy or inappropriate about a person when maybe we're just misjudging something and a little bit of time would indicate if we just wait and watch that maybe as we get a little more details, we're actually off base in our diagnosis of that individual or vice versa. Sometimes we don't want to too quickly say, oh, well, it's no big deal. I just, that was just a temporary slip up. Well, listen, if you jump to conclusions too quick, sometimes you can engage a person or get joined into something or maybe you'll make connections with somebody that could be a very potentially dangerous person. And maybe what you're seeing, if you patiently watch another week or two or three or four or a few months, you may begin to say, no, that's actually a little bit of an indication of some unhealthy, unclean things that's actually a deeper rooted issue in their life. And it wasn't just a one-time occurrence. That's a, a, an indication of a pattern of their life. 
And sometimes by patiently waiting, we can safeguard ourselves and make better judgments on both sides of the issue there. Now, verse 30 and 39 describes that if a man or a woman has bright spots on the skin of the body, specifically notice white bright spots, then the priest shall look. And indeed, if the priest or the bright spots, excuse me, on the skin of the body are dull white, it is a white spot that grows on the skin, but he is clean. So there the indication is what we might call today like vitiligo, or maybe somebody has a pigmentation issue uh, where they have spots. You know, sometimes you may notice that as people begin to age as well, sometimes they begin to develop even white spots on the hands or in places on the body. It's just a pigmentation thing that begins to happen. So again, God's saying, look, be careful. Wait, because this person here, they, they're having a pigmentation issue, but they were still clean. They didn't have leprosy or an infectious disease. Verse 40, this is, again, I think God keeps it light for us a little bit. Verse 40, as for the man whose hair has fallen from his head, he is bald, but he's clean. <laughs> so God's, look, the guy's bald, but he's clean still. I mean, he's, look, he's got a hard enough time dealing with his baldness. I mean, don't tell him he's unclean and isolate him from the camp as well. He's got a, enough on his hands dealing with his, his own baldness. Verse 41, he whose hair has fallen from his forehead, which we call a receding hairline. That's God's way of saying it. He whose hair has fallen from his forehead. Again, he's bald on the forehead, but he's still clean, God says. And if there is on the bald head or the bald forehead a reddish white sore, well, that is leprosy breaking out on his head or his bald forehead. The priest was to examine it. And indeed, again, if the swelling was reddish white uh, on his head or forehead and the appearance of leprosy on the skin of the body, then he is a leprous man. He's unclean. The priest shall surely pronounce him unclean. His sore is on his head. Now take notice verse 45 and 46. We see some more applicable things here. He shall be unclean. This is the leprous person. In all the days. Oh, excuse me. I'm reading verse 46. Verse 45. Sorry about that. Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn. The idea is so that he's identifiable very clearly. And he shall cover his mustache. That is covering the, the lips or the mouth area or any saliva could potentially come forth that could infect others. And he was to cry out before he got near people, unclean, unclean. So to clearly identify himself, his clothes were torn so that you could identify his condition. He was observable in society very clearly if anyone was near him. And they were to cry out, unclean, unclean, so people did not get within a certain distance of them as a safety precaution. Verse 46, he shall be unclean all the days that he has his sewer. He shall be unclean. He is unclean and he shall dwell alone and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. Often what we call today, you know, leper colonies. And today to this day, and you know, there exist leper colonies, people with such conditions who have been quarantined or chosen to quarantine themselves. And again, as we begin to look at this, uh, we have to remember again, as leprosy is a representation and picture in many ways of sin, I think we begin to see something else here that's very critical, is that in the same way that leprosy caused isolation and separation, that's exactly what sin does as an effect in people's lives. Sin causes isolation. Sin causes separation. 
And it was a very, very lonely thing when you had leprosy as a condition. You were, you were unable to be in contact with your family and your friends and your loved ones. You were quarantined the rest of your life. You can imagine never being able to see your wife and children again, never being able to you know, embrace your spouse again, never being able to attend the funeral of your, your loved one or your parent if they passed away, never having physical touch in your life ever again, the embrace of someone or an expression of love. I mean, the incredible loneliness and the isolation and the separation from human contact and experience. I mean, that's why it was, understand, so important that God be very specific because God understood the outcome of what leprosy caused, that they would be isolated and separated in such a way and live in incredible loneliness for the rest of their lives. Now, in the same way leprosy caused isolation and separation, as I said, that's exactly one of the effects of sin. Sin causes people to be isolated. You know, it, it causes separation. Sin separates us from God, the Bible tells us. God says, my arm is not short, nor is my you know, ear dull of hearing, but your sins have separated you from your God. Sin causes separation between a person and God. And sin, the effects of it in our lives, always cause isolation and separation in our human relationships as well. Sin is what causes separation and ruins and destroys marriages. Sin is what causes families to become isolated from one another and get dysfunctional and break apart and have bitterness. And it, it's the root issue of sin manifesting itself in people's lives that cause people that should love each other and walk together in harmony to be isolated from one another and to separate paths and to go separate ways and to not have healthy relationships. Sin separates and causes division in churches and in individual relationships. And sin causes people to be bitter, lonely individuals. Sin always has that effect. I don't know how many times I've watched, maybe you've observed, you know, it play out in somebody's life where all of a sudden they, they become more distant, more distant, more distant, and then they begin to just isolate themselves altogether from Christians and fellowship and come to find out you realize that there's a sin issue going on in their life because that's what sin does. It causes people to isolate themselves. When somebody is in sin and they're not dealing with it, they're ashamed of it and that sin grates on them and it works in their life so they begin to detach themselves and separate themselves and they begin to isolate themselves. And I can't tell you how many times I have watched that same thing play out in lives again and again and again. It separates people from proper relationships. It destroys relationships among people. And it always causes an isolation to begin to manifest in people's lives where they start to pull back and separate from other people and isolate themselves. Verse 47 now, down through the remainder of the chapter, begins then to describe if there was some type of an infectious type thing in their garments or their clothing. Notice verse 47. If a garment has a leprous plague in it, and the literal idea here is like a mold or a fungus or a mildew, you know, something of that nature, whether it is woolen garment or a linen garment, whether in the warp 
or the woof. Now that's important. You know what your warp and your woof is. Basically, those are the cross threads in a in a garment. The warp and the woof. If you were uh, working with a loom and weaving garments, that's what that's describing. Whether of linen or wool, whether in leather or anything made of leather. And if the plague, the mildew or fungi or mold, is greenish or reddish in the garment or the leather, whether in the warp or the woof or anything made of leather. It's a leprous plague and shall be shown to the priest and the priest shall examine the plague and isolate that piece of garment, whatever it was, for seven days and then examine it again on the seventh day, verse 51. And if it is spread, notice, then it is an active leprosy and it is uncleaned. The result, verse 52, he shall then burn the garment in which is the plague, whether in the warp or the woof, in wool or linen or anything of leather, for it is an active leprosy. It's live, it's growing and spreading. Therefore, the garment shall be burned in fire. So again, not only on the body, but if there was some type of a fungi that began to grow, a mold, a mildew, you know, we see these things today and we know the incredible illness and sickness that these types of things can bring as they have an effect on a person's health. So if that began to happen, the same thing was to be addressed. And notice in this case, because it was a disposable garment, no matter how much value it had, and keep in mind in that day, to have a garment was a very costly thing. You know, it wasn't like today's day and age where we're a lot more materialistic and affluent. It was a big deal to have garments at your usage so it would be a lot more difficult to depart and, and to separate and get rid of something like this but God said listen if there is something like that that you would come into contact that could defile you then God says if coming into contact with anything will defile you it is better to eliminate it than to hang on to it and keep using it and I think there's an incredible lesson in that as well because there are things in our lives at times, that by coming into contact with them, and you know what they are theoretically in your life and my life, there are things that we come into contact with that we have usage of or we interact with and, and that we mix with. And God says, look, if coming into contact with those things is going to somehow potentially defile your life or make you unhealthy or spiritually sick, then God says, listen, I don't care how important, valuable, or precious it is, it will be better to eliminate that thing than to let it begin to contaminate your soul and sicken you and begin to defile your life because some way you cherish its importance or its value. So God here giving instructions regarding those things and how to dispose of a potentially contaminated garment. Now verse 53 down through verse 59, he just shares the flip side of that again. And I know you're not totally going to be bummed if I don't read that for you of how you could determine if that garment should be disposed of or if it was actually still safe and you could just wash it out and reuse it. So chapter 13 gives to us, again, this diagnosis of leprosy and how to recognize its its existence when it was there and the things that it caused. And let me just say two other things before we talk a little bit about chapter 14 as God talks about how to deal if somebody was healed with leprosy. First of all, leprosy causes as well, when you study it, it causes a loss of feeling because leprosy attacks the nervous system. 
You know, you see people with their appendages kind of falling off. Have you ever seen pictures of leprous people? Maybe their nose is like deformed and their fingers are gnarled or the toes are gnarled. And, and, and people thought, oh, that's what it does. It begins to eat away at the appendages because it affects the cooler areas of the body. Well, not necessarily. What leprosy does is it destroys the nervous system. So what they've discovered as they've done more research is it kills the pain sensation. It causes numbness and a deading of the senses. So therefore, you may potentially, as a leper, sustain an injury. You know, you're walking with open you know, shoes and you stub your toe and, and you know, split open your toe on a rock, but then you don't feel the pain sensation, so it begins to get infected. You don't feel it getting infected or you break a bone and you don't realize it's broken. So you keep walking on a broken, damaged foot until it actually begins to just become further destroyed or they've watched lepers literally reach right into the fire. Their potato or something as they're cooking falls in the fire and just reach right into a fire and scald their flesh and pull their hand back out and there's, there's no pain sensation. It destroys feeling. That's exactly what sin does. Sin destroys feeling. It destroys any sense in our lives of healthy, proper feeling. It, it dulls our senses mentally. It dulls our feelings internally in regards to what's right and what's wrong. And leprosy in that day age, as well as in today's day and age, though it can be treated with medicine today to arrest it, leprosy is humanly incurable. The only way it will go away is from a miracle. You can't resolve it yourself. Same way with sin. Sin is a humanly incurable disease, a spiritual terminal disease that cannot be cured and resolved by any human efforts or achievements. You can try and suppress the sin in your life, but the only way sin is going to go away is if it's miraculously removed by God himself, by a miracle of God and through the shed blood of Jesus. Well, let's glance at a little bit of chapter 14. I don't know if we'll be able to wrap it up, but hopefully we can make some connections. Chapter 14 now is basically God giving a chapter of what they were to do if a person was, in a sense, cleansed of leprosy. Now, as I just said, it's humanly incurable. And there are times in the Old Testament where people like Naaman the Syrian or Miriam were temporarily resolved of their leprosy. But I think chapter 14 really was a chapter that prophetically was written ultimately for the days of Jesus when Jesus would come on the scene and he would begin to cleanse lepers left and right and they would go to the priest and say, wait a minute, I've been cleansed of my leprosy, cleansed of my leprosy. Yeah, I'm supposed to follow some regulations in the Old Testament law. How did you get healed of leprosy? Leprosy, it take a miracle to be healed of leprosy. Well, this man, Jesus of Nazareth, he healed me of my leprosy. And no doubt, chapter 14 was inserted there so as the priests, Caiaphas and Annas, began to have to refer to this protocol of what to do when a person was cured, that they would begin to have to deal in their conscience with the reality that potentially this Jesus of Nazareth is God because he's healing people of leprosy. Only God could heal people of leprosy. So the Lord spoke to Moses, chapter 14, verse 1, saying, this shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. Again, that was miraculous. Nobody ever got cleansed of leprosy. This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. And I like the way it uses the word cleansing rather than healing. 
Because that's what God does with us. He cleanses us of our sin. We're cleansed of our, of our sin and the penalty of our sin. Even though we still struggle with it, Jesus cleanses us from the issue of our sin. That person then, once they were cleansed of their leprosy, if they experienced that miracle, they were to be brought to the priest. And the priest, verse 3, shall go out of the camp and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds, cedar wood, which was that impervious wood that doesn't die, a, a picture of that which is eternal and lasting, scarlet, which is a bright red like the blood of Christ, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it, the cedar and the wood and the scarlet and the hyssop, and dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over, notice, running water. That is living water. Verse 7, and he shall sprinkle it then on him who is to be cleansed, the healed man from leprosy, and he shall pronounce him clean and let the living bird loose in the open field. So here's the protocol of all of a sudden, miracle of miracles. Joe the leper shows up and words out, he's, a, he's healed of leprosy. You know, his nose is back and his fingers came back. Again, remember when, when Jesus would heal people of leprosy, that was a dramatic miracle. I mean, if you can imagine, it tells us at times that Jesus would heal lepers and people who are in full stage of leprosy. I mean, that would mean literally appendages, you know, fingers, and just growing back, the guy's nose coming back and his, you know, all the skin lesions, the immensity of what it was like when Jesus would heal a leper, as you read about that in the Gospels, was incredible. And when Jesus would do that, he would always say, now go show yourself to the priest and offer the cleansing that was required by Moses and law. No doubt they would go to the priest. Look, I've been healed of leprosy. Healed of leprosy. Yeah, and and this man Jesus said, I'm to come to you and there's some things we're to do from the law for you to pronounce me clean. And wow, that's in there somewhere. But we, we never do that one. I think it's in Leviticus somewhere. So they, you know, flipping through the scrolls. Oh, oh here it is, Leviticus chapter 14. And there was a ritual or ceremony that they were to go through. But again, look how picturesque God was being as a miracle of miracles happened and God cured a man of their condition and then they were to go through this cleansing process where basically, notice, they were to take two birds, it says. They were to kill, verse 5, one bird and they were to kill it as they killed that bird in an earthen vessel over running water or living water. Again, notice, when that first bird was killed, in an earthen vessel. One bird died, the other bird lived. You have death and life mingled together. And notice, in an earthen vessel. How did Jesus come to this planet? He came in an earthen body. He came in flesh. In an earthen vessel, God manifested himself among humanity. And what did Jesus do? Jesus died and shed his blood. Here we see you know, the blood, notice, mingled together, it says in verse 6, that living bird was to be taken and the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop and they were then to dip, it says, that bird down into the living bird into the blood what was mingled with water. So blood and water mingled together. 
Does that not remind us of what? When Christ died on the cross and what? It says as they pierced him in his side, blood and water gushed forth. So we have pictures here of the, the death of Christ in many ways. And that living bird was then dipped and saturated in that bloody water. And notice then it says that that living bird was then to be set loose in the open field. And it would fly up and it would disappear out of the sight of the leper at that moment. And the priest who was pronouncing him clean. Now. Some see in that living bird, again, one bird dies, so you have the death of one, and then, again, that's not enough and sufficient to picture the entirety of the work of Christ, because Jesus didn't just die, he also did what? He resurrected, and after he resurrected, what did he do? He ascended back up into heaven. So some people see the picture of this living bird that was then set free as a picture of the resurrection and the life of Christ and his ascension and the completion of that which is all necessary in order for us, what, to experience a pronouncement of God's cleansing over our lives that we, though we are leprous with the condition of sin, are rendered and pronounced clean by God. And God says, I see you clean, justified. It tells us in Romans chapter 4 that Jesus was given over for our offenses and he was raised again for our justification. And so many see in this, this incredible picture, again, these symbols as the priest was going through these things, as the leper was going through these things, and he would watch that bloody water-covered living bird fly away and realizing that is the assurance that I'm clean. And my uncleanness, my defilement, it, it's been taken away. Interesting, you're going to see the same thing in Leviticus 16 with the scapegoat on the Day of Atonement, how one was killed and the other one would then have the sins in a sense that were identified upon it and it would, it would go away. The idea is removal. And I think a part of this living bird flying away was a reminder to that leprous person. If you can imagine how meaningful that would be to that person, listen. Not only are you cleansed, but all of your defilement, it's gone. It's been taken away. It's and it would vanish out of sight as it would go away. And how wonderful. Is it not glorious to know not only that you're forgiven, but to realize because of the completed work of Jesus, his death, sacrifice, resurrection, and ascension, that everything you've done wrong, and all the filthy defilement of your leper's condition, it's not just pardoned and forgiven, but it's removed. It's been taken away. It's been completely eradicated from your life, and it no longer even exists when God looks upon your life. Because the Bible says if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. Listen, don't walk around in your Christian life thinking, well, yeah, I know I'm forgiven, but... But, you know, I still got all these stains and baggage. No, no, no. That may be your perspective, but that's not God's perspective. God's perspective is you're forgiven and you're clean. You're free. He doesn't see those old stains and mistakes and errors and the defilement of your leprosy when he looks upon your life. He sees you as a new creation, a new person. So live as a new person by faith. Forget how you feel or what you think of yourself or what others still think of you. Live as a new person by faith.